We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, we have a fun Thursday show that is the usual around the NFL with Jordan Zerm and Andrew Spade. Before we get to that show, we have um, some insightful stuff, in my opinion, about whether we think the Browns are going to let the loss in Pittsburgh linger into this week and the following week, or if this team has the ability to move on and push forward and find a way to win some ball games that they have a real chance of winning here. So that's the conversation at the start, tied in with a little bit of Deshaun Watson Kevin Stefanski's offensive conundrum here. You're going to hear some unstable audio at times, and I apologize for that, but we did the best we could as we're connecting guys coast to coast, relying on the internet at times, but I think it's clean enough for you to get enjoyment out of this episode, which I think is a pretty good one, some fun stuff at 2-0 and 0-2 and and teams around the NFL at the very end. Stick around for the entirety of the show. You're not going to regret it. Jordan, Andrew, myself on the latest OBR Film Breakdown. All right, we're in the middle of the week, sort of. You know, they play Monday, and then they play again on Sunday. It makes the week get condensed, and that means we had to cut out one show, but I still always want to hit our annual around the NFL look, and I really appreciate any time I get with Andrew and Jordan. Always fun to come together. I think there's always – the NFL just provides consistent content, and as we know, your Cleveland Browns, if you want to toil in misery at times, they'll give you plenty of content too. So today's story of the day, guys, unfortunately, as two thirds of us are sitting in here, um, Andrew's on the path. Let's just say that he's going to get there. It's a matter of just when, not if uh, we were blocked by the local Cleveland quarterback and um, don't think that there were any personal attacks from either of us. Um, I, I, I just comment on game film. Um, whoever is, if it's him running his account or if it's somebody else, they're going out searching the name. It's not like he's ever tagged in these things. Nonetheless, what we see here is a very online presence. And the question that I wanted to get to with you guys, because we've really closed the book on that game to, to an extent of what happened and why it happened. But I want to know your level of confidence in a matter of chaos. Cause we talked about last week, going into Pittsburgh, feeling like this team was more mature, feeling like the 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 core of the team is getting older. You can see how they were going to fight off some of these demons, and things didn't work out that way, whatever. But the question here is whether you think that this loss sits on their shoulders and turns into two or three losses 
um, or if this is a one and done, we've wiped this away from our system and they're going to come back home in Cleveland and play really well. Uh, I think you're looking for signs that tell you that. Now, we haven't heard from any of the guys this week. We have yet to see them at practice. That's going to happen in the next few days. But I think the question I, I continue to sit on is I've seen some of the things that now just happened today. Is like, do they have uh, the mental fortitude, guys, to, to, to your belief, to bury what happened? And again, it wasn't just a loss. It was losing this this core piece of who they are, their identity. Um on top of that, do we believe or how much, let's phrase it this way, how much confidence do you have, I'll go to you first, Andrew, that they can move past that game and play well this weekend when they need to play well to move past everything that happened? I I mean, I definitely think what happened last week has shaken the amount of confidence that I have. Um, You know, I think that part of it is, we talked about it yesterday, Jake, is, is just the the sort of house of horrors that Pittsburgh can become for any visiting team on a Monday night football situation. Uh, it's, it's, it's a special uh, kind of synchronicity that they've got there between the fans and the, you know, the TV cameras and the whole thing. And it just brings, seems to bring the worst out in teams. So I think that's definitely part of it, but there there's, there was a lack of, of toughness at times mentally that, that I think, you know, it's all, it's always hard to gauge that, but, you definitely felt like there were moments at which, and and I don't know that I can fault them honestly, because you're talking about an injury to I, I think you know one of the clear leaders of the team, the kind of guy that sets the tone. It's it's understandable to a certain extent, and so I think I'm concerned that there will be a little bit of a hangover effect, and I think I'm specifically concerned because Mike Vrabel is the type of head coach that knows how to exploit that sort of feeling, right? He's not, he is kind of one of those coaches that, that will look to frustrate and kind of provoke the Browns. I I think, you know, in, in, in all the different stuff that we're talking about here with, with that, you know, what happened and what, what comes next, really interesting to me, like with the Sean Watson, blocking members of of the Cleveland sports media or Brown's Twitter however you want to phrase it that he I it, it does it kind of recontextualize those two face mask mask penalties on Monday night a little bit like is there a part of him that's just kind of getting frustrated or pissed off or whatever and and trying to take it out on people a little bit in those situations well i w- i will say that like there's probably something that I have referenced a little bit and I'll throw it to you, Jordan, to respond and give your answer to the same question. Um, but like the element of being the villain, like I, I, I really only have one modern example of it and it was not anywhere near the same thing, but it is the LeBron James and everybody hated him when he went to Miami and he tried to play that role and he couldn't do it. It wasn't who he was. He's talked about this. Watson's hatred comes from something entirely different, but he is nonetheless hated. Yet in his prior stops, he was celebrated nonstop in Houston and Clemson. And I think that there's a mental part of this that is clearly, um, I can't say clearly, I want to be careful there. I think is sitting on the person he is trying to make one throw that recovers his image, his, his 
respect around the league that he used to have. He is pressing and it is, I think again, you know, Andrew, you make a great point about the face mask and just like, what, like it was like, what are you doing, man? You know, you can't do that stuff. And what are you doing? It is, it was jarring at times to kind of collect these two games, collect the six last year, which the six were excusable. These two have not been as excusable and look at the player from 2020 and try to, to say, this is the same person. It's not mentally there. There's some physical stuff that looks off to me a bit too. And I just think Jordan, as I throw it to you and you can respond here, man, and and you can always tell me I'm off base, but I just think that there's a possibility here that the mental stuff, um, you know, the reputation damage, the stuff that he's gone through here, self-inflicted, obviously, has changed the course of the guy's mental makeup. And that is something that as a Browns executive, as you're making that trade, as you're as you're you're working through how this could work out, you don't really, you know, don't maybe give that enough uh, credence right to to be a thing to be concerned about so i don't know i'm not i'm not really asking you totally to respond to that but i mean just i guess the original question is is there anything to what i'm sort of saying there where the mental side is a bit scary yeah i mean i think right it's more than just the nick chubb injury which like to answer the initial question is like i don't see how there's any way it couldn't affect guys especially by how some of them spoke in the locker room after the game like you saw guys like miles garrett like visibly pretty shaken um a guy that's played with nick chubb almost his whole career and um you can see how much nick means to that team um and it did feel like losing a huge a huge chunk of like what the browns are and also just like what makes the browns a team that you know if you have feelings about Deshaun Watson and have made it hard for you to watch this team this year or, you know, get into this season, Nick Chubb was someone that you could, you know, and Miles Garrett to an extent, but Nick Chubb was the guy where it's like, well, you know, I'm going to root for that dude. Like that dude makes me happy watching football. Like that's how I felt like watching Nick Chubb run is a joy. And I'm, you know, I hate the, I've never been team run the ball more, but I love, I love watching Nick Chubb play football. So I think that's part of it. But I think the other part and the situation the Browns are in now where I think there is credence to what, you know, both of you guys are saying where, yeah, there is probably a huge frustration from Deshaun in that he is not finding it as easy to get back to maybe what he thought he could be um, as he thought it was. Like, I, I think, you know, he probably knew he had a bit of a pass for those six games last season, uh, but that, that pass is no longer there. Um and I think like Jake, to your point, talk about him pressing. I have been trying to figure out, like, it has been baffling to sort of watch this regression, like this huge, huge regression that I don't think any of us even thought, like, even last season, when it really didn't get better. And we were just kind of like, okay, what's going on? Like, when is the rust going to come off? And to your point too, Jake, like I, I said this on Twitter, he he looks slow when he's escaping the pocket. Like, he, he just doesn't look anywhere near um, – you know, physically or mentally sharp. And like, it's not like he came back, he was playing at age 25 and he came back at age 32 or something, you know, like this is, he's still in his athletic prime. He should be at least. So I understand there's probably a frustration to that and there's pressure to that. And you have this contract. Um, And he also probably has, you know, like the, the, maybe not the danger is not the right word, but when you trade for someone, when you basically 
have to present a case for someone to join your team and you're giving up all these picks and you're paying that amount of money, that person is going to have an, an outsized influence on your organization, whether you like it or not. And I, I don't know the inner workings, you know, I don't know what like the back and forth is, but it just seems to be in a really weird place. And then you just talk about the being like far too online stuff and whether it's him, whether it's somebody on his team searching his name, none of it like paints a very good picture of what his headspace is like right now. And I, you would think that, and maybe this is a part of the bigger issue. You would think he would understand that there is going to be criticism of him when he is not playing well. And also because of everything that's gone on with him off the field, like to, to think that people aren't going to be critical um, and turn a critical eye when you're making that amount of money combined with what, you know, what he's, he's been accused of and what he's settled in court. Like, I just am sort of baffled by the response to it um, because I, I don't understand. And I think, you know, we'll probably talk about this a little when we touch on the Chicago Bears a little bit later. But like this idea that everyone, if, if people aren't praising you, you're going to block them and they don't matter. And, you know, it, it just it's such a bigger issue with where we are with like media and sports and media and politics today. But so that's a, you know, it's another conversation, but it's, it's disheartening to, like I said, before we start recording, I mean, it's week two, man, we got, we got a lot more of these and it's going to get worse if the play does not improve. And if you're spending time blocking people or, you know, maybe running a burner account or like, and it's week two and you're, you're one and one and you could, you know, this could all reverse next week. If he plays well and they beat the Titans, it's just like. Uh, like, how did we get here so quickly? So, um, yeah, that's a, that's a roundabout way, I guess, of saying that, no, I mean, I am, I think it is going to linger. And I think we've already seen signs of it lingering from stuff that's happened today and stuff you hear. And um, they need a win in the worst way on Sunday because I'm nervous of what's going to happen if they have another dud, especially offensively. <clears throat> you and Jake probably won't say it, Jordan, but uh, the things that you got blocked for are not even – direct criticisms or personal in any way. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not an insult. It's not name calling. It's nothing offensive. It's just being honest about the way that Monday night went and the stakes of that. Right. Which is something that I think a lot of people are talking about in, in roundabout ways. And the fact that it's, you know, like feels like it's, it's really that sort of thin skinned or hair trigger is the part that I find specifically concerning because Again, it doesn't, you know, it's whether it's him or somebody else that works for him or whatever, that doesn't matter. It just, it shows the mindset. I think it, it speaks to the mindset of where things are. And to your point, we're two weeks in, right? And so, you know, to go back to this conversation about what Tennessee looks like, I think that there's a chance if things are on this trajectory, that there's some booze that start to come out on, on Sunday. And if, if things are not going well, and he, you know, if there's an early turnover, something like that. We know what the Cleveland fans get, where they get to pretty quickly when they get frustrated. What does that do? What, you know, I mean, I think the, the point here is we're, you know, this is, a, this can be a one game blip or it can be the beginning of a truly nightmarish scenario. And what matters right now is how people, to, to Jake's original question, how people react to, to the, this beginning adversity what comes next is the question. Yeah. So that comes next question is very important. And you know, the, the Tennessee stuff, we're going to talk about them. We're going to get into that. Um, I think the question that 
you know, we we talked about it yesterday, Andrew, and it sort of builds around the spotlight of where this is going offensively. Defensively, I mean, I don't we don't have much to talk about. They're doing fine. Uh, we can dig into the nitty gritty. I tried to do that yesterday of why they're playing so well. But I think the thing that strikes me is the the, the status of how they're playing this this structure. And you know, we talked about it, illuminated yesterday, the two feet in kind of different styles of offense. There's some stuff that stands out that I need to try to put pen to paper and figure out how to put it out there for people to understand. But it certainly feels like at this time, the offense is at a crossroads. So the question then becomes, how much faith do you have? Um, and I guess I'm predicting, like looking to predict faith is whatever, but do you think they're going to completely alter this thing and commit to going full on shotgun being this team that is different approach than they would have with Nick. My, I guess my thing is if you run this back the way they have run it, where they're like 23rd in shotgun percentage, still doing the turn the back to the defense stuff that again, Nick, I can understand some small willingness to keep doing that. If Nick is as special as Nick is, and you think you can get some play action off of it, but I cannot imagine, guys, that we go into this weekend and it's the same offense that even on a short week you would feel good about that. I, I, I have to imagine um, there's a there's a there's a lingering part of this where we say they have to alter it right now. They have to do something right now, and and the question is, do you expect them to do that, Jordan? I th- I think you have to, right? I I don't know if if it's going to be a drastic change, but I think hopefully some of the conversations that are taking place in that building. And hopefully if there's the sort of line of communication that we've heard about with Deshaun and and Kevin, that they're having those conversations of, Hey, what are you comfortable with? You know, what plays and what type of formations have we had some, you know, they haven't had a ton of success with much, but like some of the stuff where you've been able to really let it rip and you're seeing the field confidently, how can we get more of those into the playbook? And I think, to your point, like the, the sort of, I don't want to say drop off. It has a negative connotation, but like the drop off from Nick Chubb to a combination of Jerome Ford and, and Kareem Hunt, who I don't know what kind of shape Kareem Hunt is in. I don't know, you know, where he's at sort of physically, but like you're going to have to win probably on the arm of Deshaun moving forward. I think that's just going to be the reality of the situation. Now I do I, I sort of liken like Stefanski's ability to scheme up runs to maybe what Kyle Shanahan does with quarterbacks out in San Francisco. Like, I think you could put a lot of guys in that system. I think we remember Durinus Johnson on a Thursday night game against the Broncos where he ran for a hundred plus yards and a couple touchdowns. Like, I think you can put guys in this system that are talented enough that are still going to be able to, you know, produce positive run plays, but it's not going to be to the level of what Nick Chubb gives you where even a broken play, he's going to get positive yardage out of it. So you're going to have to win on Deshaun's arm. And if that means, hey, are you more comfortable for running more shotgun, more pistol, that type of stuff, then I think you have to do it. Now, like you said, Jake, this is a short week. This is not ideal. And they're probably still reeling from everything that happened. But I would be surprised if you didn't see maybe not a complete overhaul. But, you know, I think I think they know that, like, hey, we're, we got to change how we do things. We, we just lost – our, what our identity was and we've got to adapt. What I thought was really interesting is that uh, I, I watched a little bit of uh, Diana Rossini is now with the athletic. Uh, she's been a longtime NFL insider and she uh, is doing a live YouTube thing on Tuesday afternoon. So I, I was watching that this morning, uh, the recap of that. And um, she was talking about 
uh, the Nick Chubb injury and saying that, you know, the impression inside the building uh, of Deshaun Watson is that he's still rusty. And so, uh, you know, their, the way that she characterized their plan for Watson was to continue to try and put him in those sort of advantageous training wheels type situations, running the ball, play action, those sorts of things to... Does rusty mean not good right now? Like, does that just mean, like, I, I guess what I'm getting at is we can't trust him. That That's the fear in the building. That's yeah, no, that's the vibe that her answer gave was that they don't trust him. And I think that is truly the worst case scenario for where the Browns and, and like, you know, I'm not trying to base all of my analysis on one report from, you know, that's, I mean, by the time I'm saying it into this podcast, it's seventh hand or something. But my, my point is just that I think I, I agree with both of you about where the, the path forward. I'm skeptical just because I think, We've seen over the years with Kevin that his instinct in these situations where he's not getting great quarterback play is to pull back, not to expand. That's a fear. That's a fear that, I mean, they have no choice. Like you could talk yourself into going the route of just continuing the status quo. If like, okay, if they have gone into this offseason saying we are going to change these three things, we're going to come out, we're going to put the offense in his hands, he's going to figure it out, we'll run it through him. And then you get into the thick of it and you're like, well, maybe we can't do that. You definitely have a fallback, right? The fallback is very clearly wearing the jersey number 24. You can do some things that have been bread and butter now for four years with the large contingency of that offensive line. You do not have that anymore. I like Jerome Ford. I think he might end up being okay. Um, Kareem Hunt, as we know, is uh, not built to run lateral run concepts. The Browns ran 17 wide zone concepts, three of which turned into boots um, play action. But that's the most by far the most of anything that they ran in that game. And if your thought is we can just continue down the path we've been on, that is extremely scary to me. And that will, I'm just going to tell you, if that's the case, this offense is going to be awful and you're going to be looking at a new coach. That's where it's going. Now you could look at the bye week, which is, you know, only what two games away and say that's when you can really start to put your foot on the throttle. But if their foot wasn't ready to be on the throttle, then what were we doing all offseason, right? If, you, if you're if you saying what is true, Andrew, and they're saying that we can't trust this guy, we don't have the belief, and we're going to call it rusty, that means because in the back of our mind, rusty means a guy can become eventually unrusty. They believe that, or whether they want to believe that, then there has to have been some internal discussion about we blew this. This is not going to work for us um, because he's now eight games back into the swing of things. He's 27, 28. He's not getting any younger. And it's a bit scary to me that that's the place you could be where you felt like you couldn't put your foot on the throttle for some of the stuff that you perhaps should have been doing that places an offense entirely in Deshaun's hands. And, you know, you're left in this place of, a ton of doubt, a ton of doubt from the quarter. I mean, the stat today where in the last two seasons, Mahomes has as many sacks. I think Deshaun Watson has more sacks than Mahomes. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. And he's creating those sacks on his own. And if you, if you say this guy has lost a step, you know, on top of uh, being a guy who likes to hold on to the football a little bit to sort of process things or wait some things out, it's a scary it's a scary thing. I, I kind of go back. I'm sure you guys watched it to that route that Elijah Moore had out of the backfield where 
Larry Ogunjobi beats Wyatt Teller one-on-one. Pretty simple beat. It's unfortunate. I've seen film of Deshaun Watson avoiding that sack 50 times, 50 times, probably different plays across his career. And that's me not consuming every single Texan snap. I'm just saying I'm not really, this is not a doom and gloom Thursday, but like there are some things getting sort of posted on the wall here that are concerning uh, and that you, I think fans deserve to know about. And if there's a genuine belief of rust and now you have no safety valve to shut off the water here they're they're going to they're going to have to put this whole thing in his lap and say run with it man this is your offense now and if you're if you're to believe what diana rossini was saying and i guess i mean what the film is telling us so far too that's a really scary proposition guys and um, to the root of our question how much confidence do you carry into them to fix it against tennessee Tennessee has a very good run defense. Very good. They have been vulnerable in the secondary so far through two games. Not that they don't have some talented guys back there, but they're very vulnerable um, comparatively. So, uh, yeah, that's um, I will. If you guys have anything else to add to that, that is a that's a pretty depressing portion of the pod. But that's sort of a reality that we are stuck in the middle. It's not to say that Watson can't turn it on and have some great games here. He can, he can still, there's no, this isn't writing his obituary, right? As a quarterback in the NFL, he can have some games. He can put some things together, but what you're looking for. And I think that you guys would agree with me is you're looking for signs that that's going to happen. And I don't think the structure of the offense is great for him right now. And I don't think his see it anticipate it rip it ability is very good right now either and that's a bad formula and that's a big ask to tell you for me to sit here and tell you oh they'll figure it out this weekend don't worry it'll be okay right um, they could get some schemes that pop open but uh yeah I just it's hard to sit here and promise folks that that care that this is going to rectify itself you know what I mean I think that the throws that you've seen where he has ripped it, like uh, there's really been only a couple. There was one, I for, I for, whether it was to Cooper or in the second half of that Monday night game, but those throws are, they're wide open throws, you know, like there's no defenders. It's an easy sort of like, I see, you know, I'm whether it's play action and I'm turning around and I'm seeing it and I'm stepping into the throw, but it's like, those are throws that are, there's a lot of space to complete them. I think where, where we've seen the struggles have been the contested throws, the trying to navigate the pocket and then, you know, get the ball out and he's getting it out late or it's getting batted down. And yeah, I mean, I was, I went back and I just watched a couple, um, you know, Watson highlights from, especially some of those playoff games against Kansas city. And like, yeah, he's doing things where his face mask is getting pulled halfway around his head and he's still completing a touchdown, you know, like, now, I don't think it's fair to say he should be that already, even after eight games, but the the gulf that's between stuff he was escaping in Houston and how, I mean, he wasn't getting away from anyone running around on the outside uh, against, you know, Pittsburgh. Now they've got some dudes on that defensive line and on that defense, but to just see him look so markedly slower and... Uh, yeah, I, I think every it's totally fair to be concerned about that because that's the type of stuff where you're like, well, if it's going to take X amount of time for this to come back, that's time that they don't have, you know, like they they don't have that time. So that's what worry is worrisome to me is if this is going to take way longer than anybody predicted, 
they're in a they're going to be in a really really tough spot because as we know the window for this roster is getting gets smaller and smaller you know and so especially now with the Nick Chubb thing like you just really feel that timeline and the speed of it um, and they just don't have that runway for to be patient like that. So I think they're, they're in a tough spot and, you know, hopefully you see a a step forward this weekend. Cause if you don't, then it's just kind of like, you know, the, there's a panic button that's going to start showing itself. And and that's a place you don't want to be. Yeah. I I think it's, it's interesting too, because you're talking about the the short runway or, you know, like things need to be right now. And I I think it, it just, I mean, this whole conversation is making me realize that, I, I can see the argument both ways for kind of the way that Stefanski has wanted to approach this by making things a little bit easier for Watson with the play action, with Nick Chubb, et cetera. But I can also see the argument for the, the total opposite of like, they should have come out and, you know, Nick Chubb or not been, you know, a as gun heavy as any team in the league from the first snap of the season. I can I can kind of see it both ways. I think the the key point here that I come back to is that, and, and Jake, you already said this, their hand is forced now because there's no, you know, as good as Jerome Ford might be, and this offensive line is, is pretty good. You, you're you talking about, you know, a yard or two less on every run. You're talking about the a much lower ceiling in terms of explosive runs. You know, the, the, the sort of bread and butter for Nick is at 15 yards, you know, where he's He's getting you a first down. He's kind of resetting everything. You're out by midfield, and, and it's like, boy, that was easy. We're, we're, we're at the 50, and our quarterback hasn't thrown the ball. That, that's not happening anymore. And so, you know, I, I do think the interesting point here, the interesting question is they're, they're, at, a, they're at, a, at a crossroads that they did not choose, right? It, events, you know, what Minka Fitzpatrick did forced this decision on them, and and I think – they can lean into Kevin Stefanski can lean into what has worked for him in the past, or he can kind of take the, you know, the more adventurous road with all the rapids and the rocks and the trees and, you know, all the different stuff, all the hazards, uh, because it's going to be riskier. But I, I think that and it will be so interesting to see on Sunday. And, and, you know, to your point, Jake, yeah, maybe they, maybe they put it off until after the bye week, but, at the same time, like you said, Tennessee is going to stop the run. So, you know, they'll be lucky to get 50 yards on the ground this weekend. It has a chance to be just as ugly as what we witnessed. And maybe Tennessee doesn't create two defensive touchdowns and it ends up being a 13-10 final because that Tennessee offense isn't very good either. But, you know, that that won't change how hostile it'll feel when they're watching really bad offense again. I can guarantee you that stadium will not be a fun place to be located. So, uh, yeah, like I feel pretty confident in that. Listen, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to actually talk about why at least we're not the Bears, right? We're going to have that conversation. And then uh, when we get back from that, we will talk about our 2-0, and 0-2 teams and which ones we believe in or don't believe in. So uh, a couple more little pieces. Thanks for sticking around, guys. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences 
So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Buying tickets to your favorite events should not be stressful, guys. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and concerts near you. You can find them last minute with killer deals and their best price guarantee helps you stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for all the fun you've had. Listen, the Browns have the Titans coming in in Week 3. There's a chance these guys could be 2-0 and coming back to Cleveland for a home game. You should be looking ahead at buying those tickets, and game time is the right place to do it. So why would you go game time? They have flash deals, last-minute tickets. They're easy to find. Buy tickets for every kind of event in your area, specifically those Cleveland Browns. You get great images of the seats view which is awesome when you're trying to figure out how the stadium is going to look when you're trying to find that right ticket for the right price. And they have that low price guarantee and event cancellation protection, job loss protection, all of the stuff to help you protect your money, right? It's the fastest growing ticket out for a reason in the country. You get images of your seats. Like I said, before you buy them, you buy tickets in a matter of seconds and they're sent directly to your phone. All right. So you never have to go digging through your email to find something last second. It is always there. You can put them in your wallet app and make sure to have them up and ready to go. It's important to know you can download that game time app, which makes it extremely easy, very intuitive, very fast way to buy those tickets, create an account and use the promo code OBR for $20 off your first purchase. Again, terms apply. Again, create that account, redeem the code OBR for $20 off. You can do so at GameTime.co. It is not .com, it is GameTime.co, but I would suggest downloading that app, taking advantage of the $20 off coupon using the promo code OBR. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. All right, I got to say, this is the most Cleveland Browns story that does not involve the Cleveland Browns. Uh, that I've seen in some time. I could be missing something. I'm sure you'll be willing to tell me I'm missing something, but uh, there is uh, in Chicago, the bears today, it it starts out with a really strange morning of uh, they can't, there's no word about the location or current employment status of Alan Williams. Who's the defensive coordinator. That's the first bit of news we get, which is okay. That's strange. But we'll, you know, maybe whatever. We'll see. Then in the midst of that uh, revealing, 
Justin Fields is talking to the media uh, during his availability and mentions that he thinks the reason he's playing robotic is that he's getting information overload. I took that as um, the headset is giving him too much information uh, with a play or the coaches are loading him up before a game and he can't play free relaxed, which is a very insightful quote, right? I feel like I can't play relaxed and carefree and reactionary because I have too much information. Maybe they're talking on the on the headset to him in the helmet up until that cutoff point, and it's just too much, too much. It's It's been a thing that's out there before. That's a really good quote, right? But then that quote um, turns into, which is, I mean, he's blaming the coaches for his struggles. That's It's okay to say that. He's blaming information overload. Uh, somebody in the Bears organization or Justin's agent or somebody of the like doesn't like how that quote comes out and is portrayed by the media. He gets back in front of the media for the rare doubleheader of uh, time in front of the microphone because we all know NFL players just want to talk to the media twice in a day. He gets back in front of it and walks almost everything back. He's backpedaling faster than prime Deion Sanders out here where he is he is straight up saying it's my fault. All of it is on me. I'm not blaming the coaches. And it is um, a, an insight into something, gentlemen, that I think is is really hurting sports. This distrust between being honest and open with the media and the belief that they're always trying to chase a click or a headline or to d- diminish who you are as a person. And I'm not saying there isn't some of that out there. Th- th- that would be some straight up denial to say that. But the way that this is all shifting in the in the lack of access you get to know the players you care about, which is playing out in Cleveland in real time, the way those people actually do talk is in a very guarded, comfortable place with the questions that are never challenging and are never uncomfortable. And that sucks for understanding who these people are, how they think, and the actual insights into the team you care about. And I just thought that that was a really unfortunate um, a moment of, you know, a swing of moments there for Justin. And that's crazy enough. We'll get to the <laughs> gets even weirder uh, in the next hours after that, that second session. But I, I just think that, and I, I know Jordan, we were talking about it before we went on air. It is a really unfortunate part of the the business that is covering NFL athletes in part, and, you know, NBA and all of it's the same these days, but the modern athlete is, I think less understood than ever because they're always in a, when they're really being themselves is they're always in a comfortable place. They never have to do the uncomfortable thing. Yeah. And what's unfortunate here is like, there is part, there's some truth into Justin Fields saying like, you know, you guys took the part where I said it's on the coaches and you just ran that without the rest of the quote. And like, Yes, I am sure that like a Bleacher Report or a, you know, like these, what social media is, and as I work in it and also run an account and like understand these things, like they are going to run the thing that is going to get them attention. That is what social media is. That is how they get engagement. Um, But like, this is not really new in any way that these accounts, you know, that have been around for years now, this is just what they do. And that to me is the biggest thing here where... Listen, Justin, you were at, like, if you watched the whole video, you got asked, what is the reason why you're thinking too much? And the first thing you said was, well, it could be coaching. So, like, you say, regardless of whether or not the rest of the answer, which is good, comes out or not, like, it's still something you said. And it, you have to know that if you say something like that, 
it is going to get a headline. It's going to get attention. But I don't think where I sort of get frustrated is, is why would the Bears care so much that in the midst of like, they have so much else going on. They're 0-2. If you go anywhere on the internet today, you can read it. You can read a great piece on The Ringer by Ben Solek about how bad their offense is, how predictable their offense is. Uh, people are pointing out on Telestrators that they're running the same screenplay three times in a row. Like there is so much negativity going on about your team that is not just this innocuous quote that probably would have come and gone had you not trotted him back out there and made things instantly worse because now you know somebody told him even though he's like, I wanted to come and talk to you. I was like, no, you didn't. <laughs> what athlete wants to do two media sessions in a day? Get out of here. So, like, what's frustrating is, like, he's never going to say anything interesting again. This is what happens, you know? And the relationship, and, and it has gotten worse, too, because now so many athletes have these platforms of their own where they can go into what they feel is a safe space, and they're not going to get asked hard questions. And you know, I think we talked about at some point the Johnny Manziel documentary and the Swamp Kings documentary. Like, you are just seeing it over and over again. Like, athletes do not have to open up about things if they don't want to. They can paint themselves the way they want to. And that, to me, is the biggest – like, there's a difference between, like, athlete empowerment and also just painting yourself in a positive light because – of how you want to be seen. And a lot of times these athletes now that are going on to these athlete centric podcasts and platforms, it's great. You're going to get content from it, but you're not really going to get much insight. So I think what's frustrating me about the Justin Fields thing is he gave an honest answer about why he's struggling. I think an insightful answer about maybe when coaches are trying to do too much with a young player who is at his best when he's freelancing, um, it was not really that controversial of a quote to me. And then it just became such a big thing. And now, you know, the next media session, Justin Fields does, he's going to be giving you, yeah, I gave 110%. Uh, we executed, uh, you know, I think the coaches uh, had a good game plan, that type of stuff. And that doesn't benefit anybody. It's boring. It doesn't give anybody insight into the game. And Jake, I think as you found on Twitter, I think a lot of people uh, need insight into the game and it's not even really their fault. Like there's just not, you're not getting answers from athletes that give you any insight into how they play or how they see the game or what they're doing. So, you know, it's a long answer, but it is something that I think frustrates a lot of us that work in any capacity in sports media. You know, I'm not out there interviewing athletes as much as I once was, but you just hate to see what happened with Justin today because you just know that from here on out, he's not going to open up to any media, any traditional media members anymore. Um, and that's really, that's really a shame because it was great insight and it was a great quote that you don't hear all the time, which is why it, it sort of took off like it did. I think it's worth mentioning too, that it's not uh, every head coach that or organization that runs that way, right? Like I, I'm, I'm thinking about like Mike McDaniel, for example, like his answers are goofier than most athletes answers. Right. And so like, the, the feeling in Miami, it, you know, is completely different because part of this is, to your point, Jordan, it's not controversial what he said, but when you treat it as if he has just exposed a state secret, then it draws more attention to it, right? So it, it's, it's as, it, as in any other realm of life, the cover-up is worse than the crime. And so as you said, making him go back out and retract it like this is state media in North Korea is way worse and a much worse look because it shows how thin-skinned the head coach is, how thin-skinned the organization is 
that the quarterback might have given a somewhat honest answer about what he feels like the issues are with the team. So there, there, it, it snowballs because these organizations don't trust that they have the ability to weather a little bit of criticism from their players. But he was right, and everybody knows he was right. So pretending like he wasn't is just inflaming the situation. Yeah, so the, I think where you go from here is you expect less, you're going to get less, and it's going to work in a negative direction in perpetuity. And and like I said, I don't think it could have you could have thought it would have gotten weirder there, but um, there's some noise out of Chicago as as their defensive coordinator Alan Williams ends up stepping down. That um, the following things were involved: FBI raids, uh, both of his home and the Bears facility. Um, there were uh, what? What else was involved in this whole thing? Um, I'm trying to make sure I understand. Peanut Tillman with the FBI was involved. Uh, former Bear, who is he? Does work for the FBI, but he was involved and called the Bears to tip them off that they were going to be raided. Uh, it got pretty weird out there. I, I mean, I don't know how, how much that, into yeah. the conspiracy theory stuff are we to believe that this is actually the thing that I will say it's very strange for a defensive coordinator to just step down week yeah. three yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and yeah. just like out of nowhere. And, and, and I'm going to focus on my family. Um, okay. I, I, I can respect that. It just seems very random to see that ever happen because you're walking away from multi-million dollar contracts quite often. So there's just uh Let's put this in the eyebrows are raised, not saying that they could hide all of this stuff here, but the eyebrows are raised. It's yeah, very I, strange. I think all of that stuff was from one sports radio guy in Chicago who he had to be right. He could, he had to be the only guy with that scoop, Andrew. He had to be right. <laughs> I, and I, I, the, the small detail that I thought was the best of the whole thing was that peanut Tillman allegedly, according to this, this dude, tipped off the Bears organization that this was coming, used his FBI access to tip off the Bears organization. And Matt Eberflus's reaction was to break down in tears. That's the part that I personally took away from it that I enjoyed the most because I, I like, you know, I like a man that's comfortable showing his emotions. Right. And so that's, that's good. It bodes well for the Bears that their coach is a crier. Yeah, I would agree with that. Jordan, anything to add to that very Berea like situation there? Very Berea-like. Yeah, that's the type of stuff you would hear, you know, about midway through a Brown season. Uh, and you'd be like, yeah, well, I mean, I guess if their defensive coordinator is like committing tax fraud or something, that checks out. Um, yeah, the, the peanut Tillman thing is wild. I was unaware he was working for the FBI. I do like the idea of him like taking out a burner phone and, and calling someone in the Bears like, I got a tip. Yeah. You guys, I got a tip for you. You know, you got to stay loyal. Stay Peanut Tillman staying loyal to the squad i think you love to see it um yeah maybe he's the bears informant in the fbi like we don't know we don't know what kind of information he's yeah. feeding back to the team uh but Bust yeah up the shredders. Are... Get, the, get the shredders ready they're coming the handle ready. it you gotta you gotta shred all the that screenplay you guys ran 70 times yeah. shred it the fbi is shred coming it. for it get it out um yeah no just uh it's a mess in chicago i feel bad for justin fields because he seems like maybe he would be okay in a normal organization. And he has dealt with both um, Matt Nagy and now uh, whatever is going on uh, with Matt Eberflus and company. So I don't know, you know, he may have ended up to struggle anyway. I think maybe his flaws um, 
are going to be hard to overcome. But I, I genuinely think that if he was in a more stable organization, he would have a, uh, a better shot. <laughs> and that offense is giving him absolutely no shot. That coaching is giving him no shot. And uh, now he can't even talk about it. So, yeah, we'll see where this goes with the Bears. Shifting away from the Bears, I think that's probably best for everybody involved. Uh, we are going to shift over to looking at teams that are 2-0 and 0-2. and There's a lot of 1-1 and floating around the NFL. Uh, the Browns, obviously, right in the thick of that one and one with the one and one Titans coming to Cleveland. We don't really need to deal with those teams. What we want to do is talk about the two and O's and the O and twos. First, we're going to talk the two and O's. These are going to be teams. Um, let's let's do it this way, guys. It's a fun little way out the door. The two and O team you believe in most. The two and O team you believe in the least. Let's put it that way. Here are your two and O teams. 49ers, They kick off Thursday against the Giants. Um, Giants missing Saquon and Andrew Thomas. It's a hard one to see going in their favor. Uh, your next 2-0 team is the Ravens, who host the Colts. The 2-0 Atlanta Falcons uh, travel to Detroit. So there's that one. 2-0 New Orleans Saints travel to Green Bay. 2-0 Dolphins host the Broncos. The 2-0 Commanders host the Bills. The 2-0 Cowboys travel to the Cardinals. And then the 2-0 Eagles face off with the 2-0 Buccaneers. So we're looking for... Your favorite 2-0 and team, the one you believe in the absolute most right now, and then the one that you're like, that team is going to flounder its way to 7-11 and or something of that nature. Would, would it be 7-10? and 10? There you go, Jake. All right, so uh, we'll go to – Andrew looks the most prepared to answer this question, so we're going to go to him first. Your, yeah. your, your teams uh, that, that, that you – you know, go ahead, whatever. Yep, give me Miami as the team that I believe in the most. Uh, okay. I have – done a complete 180 over the course of what 19 20 games now on mike mcdaniel i was not a He's believer so and fun. now i am like a total convert to the point where i'm like looking at the miami dolphins website to see who's on his coaching staff that might coach the browns next year that's where i'm at with everything so mm-hmm. very very normal things happening uh yeah so the dolphins i just think that what he's doing the the way that he is like at the absolute cutting edge of offense and and can you know not ever complacent not ever sitting still always pushing forward and trying to find new ways to essentially break the game is you know that in and of itself is just an an asset for any NFL team to have so I'm, I'm a believer there I think Vic Fangio will over time get the defense playing more like what he wants them to I, I think it's you know it's gonna be rocky a little bit at the beginning but he's gonna get there uh, and so I think when that all hits, as long as, you know, obviously the health is the question for any team, but I just think their upside with that offense is as high as any team in the league, as crazy as that sounds. I know that it's not, you know, there's other teams in this list that are more blue blood than the the Dolphins, but I, I want to be out in front of Miami and I, I wasn't strong enough about it. I had them winning the division preseason, but I wasn't bullish enough. I should have had them as my Super Bowl team, I regret that. So, um, yeah, I'm going to take the Dolphins. And then, uh, well, come back to me for the one I don't believe in. Let's go to Jordan. Okay, there we go. All right. Uh, I hesitate to do this because I do think that deep down, maybe years ago, a witch put a curse on Kyle Shanahan and said, you will never have a quarterback that you like that will stay healthy for you for for the right amount of time. So I am very hesitant, and Kyle, if this – if this is if this does in Brock Purdy within the next few weeks, I'll take full responsibility. But um, the 49ers, I have the most belief in right now. I think one huge reason is 
Christian McCaffrey through two games, I believe. Uh, yes, he has 268 yards rushing. He's got a couple of touchdowns. Um, I think like they are just at the point where that defense is locked in. They've been together. I know they lost their defensive coordinator, but it doesn't seem like that's really made. That, that's really been a blip. Like they're still churning it out. Um, and I think just the offense with, you know, Ayuk. I know he banged his shoulder up a little bit last week, but uh, I saw he was practicing this week. Ayuk, Debo Samuel, um, Kittle, and uh, Christian McCaffrey. And if Brock Purdy can just you know, run that offense plus do a little bit more, which he can occasionally do some stuff out of structure, like, you know, avoiding any injury, which is always like Christian McCaffrey is a dude that gets injured. Uh, you know, we've seen Debo hurt. Um, you know, you just never know. Kittle's had injuries too. But for the moment, at least with what they have intact, I just think because of the familiarity with the system, even though Purdy hasn't been there that long, I think between the defense and what they're doing with McCaffrey, unlocking that and that offense, I think they, they've got me believing right now. So I'm on the I'm on the 49ers train. Okay, I'll do my 2-0 team. I'm going to say the Eagles. I think they are coasting a little bit. Um, just, just understanding that the playoffs are going to be all that matters. And in the midst of doing that, even though I think they've been sluggish, I still just really believe in that group. I think they're... They're extremely skilled in both levels of the defense. Hertz has started a little slow. Um, I think he'll figure enough out to be still a really competent and good quarterback throughout the remainder of the year, and their weapons uh, are certainly worth believing in. So um, I, I actually think that they'll handle Tampa quite quite easily uh, this weekend as well. They're, that's the Monday night kickoff, as uh, is noted here. So I'll say Philly. Uh, I'll lead off on teams I don't believe in. Here are your own two teams. Or sorry, we're actually still sticking on 2-0. So 2-0 team that I don't believe in. I mean, I I kind of think I I, I I was wrong about the Cowboys, but I also am wrong about them in the sense that they haven't played anybody. They played the Giants, the Jets without Aaron Rodgers. Now they travel to play the Cardinals. We'll, we'll see about Dallas. There's a lot of uh, early season fluff going on there. I would say the Falcons are probably the team that are 2-0 that you don't believe in, largely because I think their secondary talent outside of Jesse Bates is not good enough. Um, and then obviously Desmond Ritter is a massive, um, is a massive problem. Now Bijan and some of the fun stuff they can do. And Arthur Smith is a run game savant. Um, that is a really fun pairing of, uh, offensive line and, uh, super talented, two, two very talented running backs. So I think they'll win enough games, but I just don't believe in them. I think they're going to win seven or eight ball games, but I don't believe in them as a, as a true two and contender. There's another glaringly obvious one. So we'll jump over to you, Andrew first. Yeah, I, I think I know who you're talking about, Jake, but I'm not taking the bait uh, because I, I, I'm i okay with the Commanders. I actually am just going to agree with you. Uh, I, it maybe doesn't make for the best listening, but I agree on the Falcons. I was disappointed to see them beat the Packers on Sunday. I kind of have started to root against the Falcons a little bit, in all honesty, because they are sort of the darlings of a certain segment of you know football Twitter. Uh, and I find it very annoying because they don't seem to actually like win the football games. They just do the things that make people happy or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I also don't believe in the Falcons. And I think even if they win 10 games and the division and host a playoff game, whatever, you know, the five seed that comes in there or the six seed, whatever, you know, they're going to be underdogs and they're going to get blown out by the Eagles or the Cowboys or one of the real teams in the NFC. Yeah, that's right. I think that's fair. And uh, it's with the Falcons. It's interesting. Um, they're, they have, 
these glaringly obvious weaknesses, I think they'll get exploited. I think the Lions will actually end up beating them this weekend. We'll, we'll deal with that when it comes. Uh, yeah, I think the Falcons agreed. are a good answer. There's two other teams I think are sitting there ripe for the pick. Actually, three, Jordan. You have three teams that I think are ripe for the picking. Go ahead. I'm not going to do the obvious one because I've had enough of Brown's quarterback-related things. I am going to choose uh, the New Orleans Saints. I don't believe in the Saints. I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a huge David Carr guy. I don't. I don't know what it is. You know, what about Derek maybe Carr? it's not even. Wow, I said David, didn't I? Well, I'm no. not a David Carr guy either. He's weird yeah. on NFL Network. Um, <laughs> Derek Carr. Thank you. Uh, yeah, Derek Carr. So that shows you how much uh, confidence I have in uh, his ability. Not a huge Derek Carr guy. Um, I don't know. That team just doesn't like. It's a weird mix of players. Chris Olave is obviously like very very talented, but I think as far as like. You know, they played the the Panthers last week, and I'm already blanking on who they played week one, but I don't think it was a very good opponent. Titans. Um, 16 to 15 finish. Yeah. Very weird score. Very weird score. So they've had some weird games. They've played some pretty average teams and one pretty bad one uh, in the Panthers. So uh, I'm not a believer in the Saints and neither of the Carr brothers. (laughs) That's a safe way to say it. All right, I like that. I think the Commanders are a fair choice. And then, like you mentioned, uh, the Buccaneers who are are sitting at 3-0. Um, also a very fair choice in that market. Now we shift to the O and two. So I think we'll just look, actually we can do it this way as well. I think it's a little more fun. You could say the O and two team that you think it's back into playoff relevancy. And then the O and two team that is destined to head for a top three pick that you feel like is locked into. Here's your O and two teams. Uh, as we sit going into this week, you have the O and two Texans, the O and two Broncos, the O and two battle between the O and two chargers and Vikings who, um, that should, that's, that's an interesting one. Owen two Patriots, the Owen two Panthers, Owen two Cardinals, Owen two bears and the Owen two Bengals. Uh, I'll hit lead off on this one too. Um, this time I will, um, I actually think I'm going to go with, let me think about this. I need a really good lead off here. I said Juan Pierre last week. Uh, who I don't have a really, I didn't pick a really random one. Kenny Lofton. We'll just say Kenny Lofton. I'll Kenny Lofton this segment out of respect to Kenny. Um, all right. I'll go. The Bengals are the team that I still believe in the most uh, to get back into playoff relevancy. I don't know if they make it. I mean, the Joe injury is scary here. There's a trend toward maybe playing this weekend. I'm not saying they make it, but I do think they get back into relevancy uh, despite the 0-2 mark. I'm telling you, it's hard for me to quit the Chargers, so, but I am I am saying that I, I believe in the Bengals a little bit more than the bearded Brandon Staley's. Uh, the 0-2 team that I think is just absolutely dead set on the top three pick, there are a lot of really good candidates here, guys. I would probably lean, I mean, the Cardinals are the obvious answer, but I think the Panthers are pretty bad too. I think they're headed toward a top three pick uh, as well. Um, so I'll say Panthers the one I feel pretty good about, and then the Bengals on the other side to get back into playoff relevancy. Jordan, you're up. I will begrudgingly take the Chargers because I believe in them more than the rest of the 0-2s. I just, I think we say this almost every year, but God, there's so much talent on that team. And it's just like, you got to figure it out. They blew, you know, both these games, you know, they blew that game against the Titans. They had that game in hand for a lot of, for a lot of that game. They ended up giving it back to them because, their offense just can't get anything done in the fourth quarter. Um, a lot of three and outs. Herbert running for running for his life a lot too in that fourth quarter. Like I watched a lot of that game, and um, you know he had a pretty spectacular play that happened because he had to bail out of the pocket. Um, but there, you just think that with that amount of talent, 
the defense has been unexpectedly bad. Although Andrew, you, I, I do think there was some foreshadowing by you in one of our, our previous episodes about you weren't really didn't believe after what the Dolphins did to him. Maybe that defense isn't as good as advertised. So, uh, but I'm still going with my guy Jay Herbo. I think he's going to figure it out. And when Staley eventually does stop trying to grow that beard, maybe things will turn around for them. Um, the team that I think uh, is headed toward the top three pick, we we touched about them in the open. I just think the Bears are are very close to imploding. Yeah. Like that yeah. just feels like um, between what happened today, but just in general, like you have a Buccaneers player saying we read their screenplay because they kept running it. And just nope. I don't think they know what to do with Justin Fields on offense. I don't think they know how they want to run that team. So, um, and then again, like Chase Claypool is sort of just like vibing. Like he's not really even playing football. It's very wild. Like, I don't know if that's being talked about quite enough. He's like, it's not really not. He's not trying. Like he's yeah. really not involved. If you just, there's various videos from both week one and two of, of the Chase Claypool thing. And I know he caught a touchdown, but um, that's a very weird situation. So they are ripe for like, if things continue to go downhill, that is ripe for an implosion. First pick of the second round, Chase Claypool foots up. That's a big, that's a big deal. Uh, the, the interesting thing about your chargers, we, I think this has been sort of the theme and Andrew, you, I, like Jordan said, you hit on that really well last week is that the defense is better because of some of the names, you know, like Khalil Mack and Bosa and Derwin, they are not collectively good and i am i'm amazed that brandon staley comes over from a defensive perspective and is given the leash he's given with these guys i mean they gave up 341 six of 13 on third downs to the titans yeah um who are not rolling in the deep in talent there so um and we're about to witness it maybe i'll shut up in a couple days but uh it's just it's it's fascinating that they're able to get away with um some of that stuff there's got to be a dude like there's just there's there's too much talent they they can't keep having this stuff happen uh consistently i'm with you it's hard to quit them though i think it's the colors maybe that are hard to quit and all that kind of herbert they look pretty on the field yeah right? it's like herbert's herbert's hair and the colors the powder yeah. blue it's a tough yeah. it's a tough combo man it's hard it it is it is okay andrew close us out what do you got for your uh owen two darling and sinker uh, for 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 darling, I mean, I think you guys have named the the teams at the top of the list. I think the Bengals are sort of unquestionably the the best zero and two team, uh, or the team zero and two team with the best chance of coming back. But I I'll go off of off of the ones that have already been mentioned, and I'll I'll say the Minnesota Vikings. Okay, They're, they've they've sort of had the opposite of last year, right? They've they've lost two close games where last year they couldn't lose a close game to save their lives. Uh, so they're actually they're better by DVOA this year than they were. Uh, last year, but they're they're zero and two. So I think the NFC is better than we thought maybe coming into the season. But there's still room for the Vikings. You know, they just added Dalton Risner to try and shore up the guard position, and then they just made this Cam Akers trade. So it's clear that they think that they've got you know some pieces that they can work with. Uh, you know, it's kind of like what I said with Vic Fangio. I think that Brian Flores can make that defense into something, uh, and so. I'm gonna I'm gonna just keep believing in them. I and it's it's not all because of Kirk Cousins on that quarterback documentary, but it's like eighty percent just wanting. I just want Kirk to be happy. It's it's really the the largest portion of it. Uh, as far as an zero and two team, I'll actually take a one and one team um, that I think is going to end up with a top three pick, and that's the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, I I don't I truly do not know how they beat the Broncos week one. They look so bad against the Bills. The what's going on with Chandler Jones is legitimately disturbing. 
Like it's, I'm not, I'm not making light. It's legitimately worrying and troublesome. Uh, the way that that is playing out. And I just think that this is the Josh McDaniels script that everybody kind of saw play out in Denver. And now it's playing out in Las Vegas. The difference is in Denver, when things got rough there, they were able to run him out of town because the owner was willing to write that check to get him out the door. I don't think that's the case here. And, and so I think McDaniels is there for a while and it's just going to kind of continue to be like this. So they might win some games. I do think they'll end up in the top 10, maybe the top five, but just in terms of a team that if I was, I mean, like I'm not crowing about being better than any franchise right now with where the Browns are at, at the moment. But if I was going to be like really just bummed about the future, I would feel so much better to be a Cardinals fan than a Raiders fan is my point. Like you've got a clear path to Caleb Williams the team seems to be playing hard. It seems like Drew Petzing might be a hell of an offensive coordinator. Let's give him some credit for what they did to the Giants in the first half. They had some Giants defenders looking downright foolish at times. Uh, there's no hope in Vegas with what what the Raiders are doing. They they have an old roster. They have a bad roster, and I don't see when that gets cleaned up. So that's my choice for a team that I just hate to even. I wouldn't even want to be near that team. Yeah, I saw something about Josh Jacobs has already ran in as many run attempts against single high safeties so far this year as he did entirety of last year because Garoppolo's not willing to throw it downfield and teams are just saying we're not going to let that guy beat us anymore like he did last year so it is um it's a chance for some miserable football out in Las Vegas and and maybe they do end up getting a really high pick we we out of listen out of um deep respect for the Cardinals we didn't pick them Okay, we know where you guys are going. We've all accepted it, and but they are. I mean, they could win a game or two. I mean, they've been. I mean, they've been on the forefront here, Jordan, of of being like very close to winning some games. So I probably shouldn't say that, but I just feel like why I don't know why they wouldn't at this point. Although they do have the zero and two Texans pick, which could end up also being the number one pick because the Texans thought it would be really smart to give away their pick instead of the Browns pick, which is still befuddling to this day. Just wanted to quickly shout out Josh Dobbs. It, it was cool Absolutely. to cool to watch him like get a, even if it's just this season only. Cool to see him get a chance to start. Did some fun things in that in that first half. He's really good with his legs, like running some design QB run stuff that looked really good. Got into the end zone. Like I'm just, I'm happy for him that like not only is he getting a chance to start, but playing pretty decently. So just shout out to former Browns great. Uh, former Browns legend will clearly go into the Browns Hall of Fame uh, ring of honor, whatever they have, uh, Josh Dobbs. The Kevin Stefanski uh, coaching tree, play calling tree that's apparently expanding now. We miss and, you, Drew. Uh, we, Drew is uh, is doing doing fine. He's making uh, chicken salad, right, happen out of – what's the phrase? I don't know. We're, we're out in the weeds here. It's almost – we're an hour into this thing. Um, <laughs> is, is chicken salad out of chicken uh, – yeah, you're gonna get am more I, people I, blocking right you that? if you keep talking like this. Yeah, yeah here we I'm, are. Well, I'm gonna block. I'm gonna block. Yeah, you. Personally, <laughs> yeah. I'm catch a bunch block of blocks. Well, yeah. people seem to love me not only in this podcast but on the on the line <laughs> as well. So, uh, we're gonna end this pod. That's been enough. We've talked about the Bears, uh, FBI. Wouldn't it be funny if the Bears were playing the Raiders this mm. week? Oh. Mm, very good. Oh. Very good. Hey, oh. I thank you for that. Yeah, thank you. you yeah. I'm back. Yeah, I'm back, maybe. All right, we're out of here. Guys, thanks for being here. Andrew, Jordan, we appreciate their insights. And um, hopefully, listen, the, the first half of the pod was really uh, 
bleak. But again, until they prove us wrong, until the play calling um, in terms of shifting to this, the style that we think is needed. And until Watson starts to play better, we're not going to sugarcoat something that doesn't need sugarcoated. I'm sorry if that's not something you wanted to hear, but it is necessary to hear for uh, where it is right now and where it could possibly be going. So uh, the back half, I think, was pretty fun. A lot of interesting stuff on the 2-0, 0-2s. Uh, review the pod on your way out today. Thanks for st- sticking by. If you stuck around for the full hour, we appreciate that. And like I said, for the guys, for me, and for the OBR group, uh, thanks for being here. Have a fantastic Thursday and go Browns. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com